Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. This episode of the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick is brought to you by SeatGeek, the smartest way to buy and sell tickets. Welcome to this week's episode of the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. This week, we're joined by NBA great Brandon Roy. Yahoo Sports presents the Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick, powered by digital media. Find your voice. And now, your host, J.J. Reddick. All right, welcome back to the Vertical Podcast. I am J.J. Reddick. I am also a bit of a liar because yesterday when I was recording this podcast, I tweeted out that uh, I was going to answer some questions on this week's episode and unfortunately, my guest this week talked a little bit longer than I expected, and he gave a great interview, but we're not going to have any time for questions. I promise you next week we'll do some questions. I will answer one, because this seemed like a question that a lot of people were, were asking. A lot of people were asking, what is my favorite place to eat? What is my favorite food city on the road? What is my favorite restaurant on the road? That's a very difficult question to answer. There's a lot of great food cities on the road. Unfortunately, one of the great food cities in America where I've lived the last three off-seasons, Austin, Texas, does not have an NBA team. Otherwise, that would be my answer. So the obvious answer here is New York or San Francisco. I think both of those cities have great restaurants. You can pretty much find anything, you know, ethnic food, French food, uh, great burger spots, great sushi spots, whatever you, you know, want to find. But I think my favorite food city, my favorite place to visit in the NBA for restaurants is Portland, Oregon. I just, I'm in love with their food. I'm in love with their restaurants. There's a few favorites that I've been to. You know, I I hate to say this because I am a little bit of a health freak, but I really like Voodoo Donuts. I don't like all the mess, you know, just a nice donut with like, chocolate frosting and some sprinkles that's fine with me i don't need the bacon maple mess it's just too much for me i don't need the the donuts with fruit loops on it and oreos mixed together uh it's just i I don't need all that so i just want a, a nice normal donut but voodoo donuts in portland is amazing i also love bunk uh bunk sandwiches in portland i typically go there if we're ever in portland and I have some time for lunch, I'll hop over. I go to the, I think the original location, which is on the other side of the bridge. I'm not familiar. It's like weird in Portland. It's like Southeast, Southwest, Northeast, Northwest. It it, it doesn't really make sense where the city, you know, I guess if you live there, but as a visitor, I don't know. I just know I cross the bridge and I go to that bunk location. And I love that place. Also Stumptown Coffee is Portland based. So there's a few coffee shops, you know, the, the one cup pour over places that I frequent. The Pearl district in Portland has a bunch of great restaurants. Actually, one of my, my college roommates works for Jordan brand up in Portland. 
And every time I go up there, we usually have dinner and he takes me to a new spot. So some of my best meals on the road have been in Portland, Oregon. Great spot. All right. This week's guest uh, is a guy that I've known since about 2006. There was some confusion apparently about when we actually met, which we'll get to. Um, But just one of the all-time great guys in the NBA and a, a fantastic player. Uh, whose career was unfortunately cut short by two knee injuries. This week, we are joined by Brandon Roy. Brandon, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, of course, man. Thanks a lot for having me. And, uh, you know, I appreciate what you said. I've I followed you since ever since the McDonald's game in, in 2002. So uh, it's always been an honor playing against you, too. It's been a long time, man. We uh, We were in the same high school class in 2002 the same college and draft class in 2006. I think the first time you and I ever met was uh, during the pre-draft process. We had the same agent, and we were kind of working out together in L.A. That, that's correct. That's the first time we ever met, right? Nope, and uh, I'll beat you to it. We met at the Wooden Awards, and I think oh, it man. was yeah. me, that's you. All part of, that's all part of the process. That was like a month prior. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a month before, and I, I remember that day because it was a big day for me. You know, I was a guy that, that always kind of flew under the radar, and, you know, I watched you from afar. So when I met you that day, it was, it was a day that I marked in my calendar. So <laughs> it was definitely the wooden I understand, man. Because you, you were kind of a little under the radar yeah. in terms of our high school class. You weren't on the McDonald's mm-hmm. All-American team. It's crazy to say this, but like you, Iguodala, and Darren Williams, none of y'all made the team. All yeah. y'all were probably somewhere in the top 50 or so in terms of rankings, but were, were left off the team. Were you at Nike mm-hmm. camp? Did you do AAU? What was kind of your, your protocol in high school? Yeah, so I did, you know, I did the whole AAU circuit, and I, and I played well. I think I was rated top 50, but the Nike camp, there was a, um, a week before the Nike camp, I was playing in the local tournament here in Washington. And I made a move, and I felt like a pop in my knee. So I went and seen the trainer at my school. And they said, you know, Brent, I think you might have tore your meniscus. And I was like, no way. You know, I got Nike camp coming up in a week. So I flew out to the Nike camp, and I tried to work out the first day, but it was just too painful. And I went back and seen their trainer, and they said, you know, I think you should stay off this knee. And when you get back to Seattle, you should get an MRI. So when I got back to Seattle, I went and seen a doctor, and I did an MRI, and he said, yeah, you, you tore your meniscus. So that kind of killed my whole summer going into my senior year, which was, uh, I was, I was very disappointed about that. But, you know, a, a big thing I always looked at is it gave me a chance to kind of work harder and kind of try to rebuild my name. And I, and I tell people this story is, uh, you know, when I met you at the Wooden Awards, you were a guy that I've always seen from high school and, and college. And we met at the Wooden Awards, you were really humble. And then when we signed with the same agents and we started working out together, I was like, man, this dude works hard. And I called back to my dad and I said, you know, J.J. Reddy gets a lot of hype, but, you know, he's a real deal and he works extremely hard. And you kind of set the tone for for where I wanted to be in my career. I always wanted to be a guy that they said, hey, he's he's a good player, but he works really hard and he's in that position for a reason. So that's a big reason why I remember, you know, our interactions when we when we came to, to meet. But that was a big thing. Like I said, I, injuries sometimes, you know, they plague you. But I tried to not let them hold me back. And, and fortunately, I was able to, you know, continue on and, and have a good college career and a good NBA one. 
Yeah, well, you far surpassed anything that I've been able to do in my NBA career, let's be honest. No you way. Know, three all-star <laughs> no appearances. Way. Three all-star appearances in your first four years, <laughs> rookie of the year. Um, I mean, you had an unbelievable career. Before we talk about that later, I want to talk about something. So during this whole pre-draft process, mm-hmm. the Lakers had a playoff game at Staples. Yeah. And all of us that were with the agency, we all <laughs> went to the game. Do yeah. you remember what you wore? This is like two months prior to the draft. Do you remember what you wore to that game? Oh, was it a Kobe jersey? It was a Kobe jersey. <laughs> <laughs> you wore a Kobe jersey to the game. You know, I was like shocked. I couldn't believe it. I was like, "Oh my god, this guy!" You know, but, it's, but Jenny, I've always here. been that. I've always been that kind of guy. You know, Kobe. I was a huge Kobe fan <laughs> just growing up. You know, and I don't mean like when I was a little kid because I was Jordan. But once I got to like high school, it was like Kobe and Shaq in the you know early two thousands. And when I went and I signed with our with our agency, you know, they said we're going to the Laker game. I was like, "Well, then I got to rep my guy, Kobe." <laughs> And uh, I think it was Greg that said, you know, you got to guard him next year. So you can't be just, right. you know, repping right. the guy like this. And I was like, hey, I, I, I'll this... worry about guarding him next year. This year I'm a fan. So that, that, that's funny <laughs> that you remember that. And I remember when Kobe hit that shot against Phoenix. And I was like, everybody yeah. left. Everybody thought, oh, this game is over with. And the Lakers made that great comeback. And Kobe hit that pull-up, hard pull-up going right. And uh, I remember calling everybody saying, I told you he was going to do it. So <laughs> that's funny that you remember that story. Yeah, I just, I just, it, it struck me as odd for whatever reason. And it's funny <laughs> okay, like, why Kobe was it odd? Instinct. <laughs> so if Kobe had found that out your rookie year, he would have just harassed you because of that. You know that he would have harassed you. So how did you hold that to this, to this moment now? How, how were you able to keep that secret? Because <laughs> nobody's ever known just, that I, story. <laughs> I was just thinking of, of random things from 2006. No, Greg and I talked earlier, and he was like, do you remember going to the playoff game with, with Brandon? And I was like, "I was like, yeah, wasn't he wearing a Kobe jersey? So he confirmed the story for me. I just want to let you know yeah. your guy, Greg, put you on blast a little bit. No, no, it's good for that. T- yeah, yeah, he is, for sure. In 2010 then, I think it was 2010, Kobe said that you were the hardest player he had to guard in the Western Conference. What did those words mean to you? Man, that was that was a huge honor because, you know, I didn't actually hear him make the comment, but um, you know, like all my family, you know, they watch all the games and and they and they read all the all the ESPN stuff and and when they called and and told me that he said that, I was just like, "Not Kobe." <laughs> I mean, come on, JJ, this is the guy <laughs> I I wore his jersey in 2006, the year I was drafted. Right. So, right. for me it was a it was a huge honor, but it also says a lot about him. He's somebody that, you know, I've always admired from from afar. And he's somebody that I always said, hey, look, Kobe is just a killer on the court. And, you know, it's not my personality. I'm not the meanest guy. I'm actually a pretty nice guy. But I always thought when I step between the lines, I'm going to try to give it 100%. And when I played him, I wanted to honor him with that. So every time I played Kobe, you know, I – I mean, the night before, I was trying to sleep good. I tried to make sure I ate good because I wanted to make sure I went out there and, and gave him 110% effort. And when I played him my very first game, you know, Coach Nate called to play for me, and I caught the ball on the sideline. And he ran up to me, and, I mean, he mugged me and took the ball, went down court, and dunked it. And from that moment on, I said, okay, I got to be ready because no matter how much respect I have for him, this guy's going to come after me. 
And I just respected the way he approached the game. And, and after that moment when he took the ball from me, I realized that I can no longer be in awe of him. I have to, I have to attack him. I have to, you know, try to do my best to put him on his heels. So when he, when he made those comments, you know, it's something that, you know, one day I can, I can tell my kids because I wasn't able to play as long. But to, to hear, you know, for me, one of my favorite players of all time, say that I think he's one of the best players of all time is a huge honor it's a it's a really huge honor and it's something that that I will always remember because he's not only one of the best players he's one of my favorite players so that was really cool to hear him say that I think for me the guy was was Ray Allen you know that I was a little bit in awe of Uh, he was kind of the guy that I tried to emulate I'm, I'm definitely a poor man's Ray Allen at, at best but you know he was the no, guy wait, I kind of looked I up to and watched a ton of film on <laughs> yeah no but he he was the guy that I kind of and I can remember kind of the same thing like initially like I fanboyed a little bit and mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it was my rookie year or my second year but it was uh I guess it had to have been my second year because he was on the Celtics but I went over to him like at halftime of a game. I was like, hey, man, can I get your shoes You know, after the game? Can yeah. you sign them for me or whatever? Literally to this day, the only piece of memorabilia that I still own. I don't own anything. I've, it's, I, I literally do not own yeah. anyone else's autograph, any piece of memorabilia. For me, it was Ray Allen. Hey, yeah. so in 2002, a lot of people don't know this, but in mm-hmm. 2002, you actually declared for the NBA draft yeah. coming out of high school. Yeah. And you weren't, like we said, you weren't a McDonald's All-American. Mm-hmm. You were, you know, a top 50 player. Most of the time, at the time, when, when guys would declare coming out of high school, they were generally, you know, the, the 6'9", the 6'11", yeah. really athletic, big guys, guys like Amari Stoudemire. Um, so people were kind of shocked. What was, what was kind of your, your mindset deciding to do that? And then ironically, staying four years at Washington. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, like I say, everything, you know, works itself out. It's, it's funny, you know, talking to you because you're bringing up all the all the old memories. I'm like, man, you know, it's 2016 now. We're, we're, we're so much older. But, Isn't it crazy? You know, it's I, crazy. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, you know. I, you know I, saw, I saw you in the it, hallway so. the other day at Staples, and I'm like, God dang, man. Me and Brandon are getting old. Like, we, we're a couple yeah, old men now. <laughs> we're, the, we're the old guys. I'm just thinking, like, you know, you know, honestly, I was, I was 17 years old. <laughs> So it's, it's funny because, you know, I work with a lot of these, you know, young high school kids and even college guys. And I'm thinking like, man, like how fast time flies. I was just the freshman in college or the senior in high school. But, you know, as I as I think about that time, it was a really difficult time for me because I was going through the clearinghouse with the with the SATs and they lost my my final test. So I had to get lawyers to you know, help me be able to take another one because it wasn't my fault. Then at the same time, I think uh, Coach Bender had got fired from the University of Washington and they were, they were talking about who they wanted to bring in as the new coach. So it was a lot of uncertainty. And at the same time, I thought, well, hey, you know, I think I'm really good, but I'm also, I continue to be overlooked. So I wanted to put my name in a hat to somewhat gain some attention, but also for me, I wanted to see where I really was at as a basketball player. And, you know, they, everything kind of slowly unfolded, but the first step was Coach Romar came and was hired, and I met with him, and I talked with him for a while, and I thought he was an unbelievable guy. And I was like, hey, look, if this NBA thing doesn't, you know, work out or if I'm not good enough, then I definitely want to continue 
my college career at the UW. So I went and did a workout in Portland, and I worked out with a couple of guys. I think Ime Doka was there, and a couple a couple other guys were, were, were there. Maybe even Boris Dial was there working out. And we all kind of had to, you know, work out. And, you know, at the end of the workout, I thought I did good, but I was not ready to be an NBA player. And I was honest with myself. And my dad was down there with me and my godfather because we drove down. And after the workout, they said, you know, how do you feel? And I was like, man, I'm tired. Then, you know, Ime was so strong and just physically more physically stronger than me and I was like I have to I have to get stronger you know and and even he say say you know you got you got you got really good game but you have to get stronger and there's things you can work on in college so after that one workout I went back and said all right well now I'm going to focus all my attention on going back to to college and and finishing the SATs so once they finally got it cleared up, I was able to retake the test in the fall, and I was able to start school for the uh, for the uh, autumn quarter. So I started like late June my freshman year. So that's somewhat how it unfolded. It wasn't as simple then as I'm talking about it now. But, you know, again, I think staying four years at the UW, it wasn't ideal for me, and that wasn't what I was saying I was going to do at the beginning of it. But at the end of my freshman year, uh, I think it was T.J. Cummings. We were playing UCLA, fell on my right ankle, and and then I had to have all-season all surgery on that. So every year just somewhat dealt a new blow, but, you know, it, it kind of taught me how to be resilient and just keep coming back and keep fighting. And most of it was I was just fighting to try to gain that attention so people can see that, you know, I am a good basketball player. I worked my whole life for it. And, you know, again, I just say it wasn't something I planned to do stay all four years, but I think it was the best thing that ever happened for me. More with my guest, Brandon Roy, in a moment. When we were kids, we would play ball and walk off the court in our sweaty clothes and get in our parents' car or walk home, and that was that. We didn't care how we looked. As an adult, as a college player, and especially as a pro, it's a totally different story. We shower, we change, and we suit up. Listen to this deal I have for you. Be unique, look good, feel good, and get a one-of-a-kind made-to-measure suit from Indochino. Indochino is reinventing men's fashion, and a made-to-measure suit is the best suit you will ever own. So suit up. Customize the details you want. You could pick your lining, your lapels, put on a personal monogram, and more. There's 14 unique measurements that go into making a suit that fits you perfectly. You can't go wrong with the well-crafted 100% merino wool suit. Also, check out their made-to-measure dress shirts and men's accessories. Made-to-measure suits are now affordable and available to the masses thanks to Indochino. When you look good, you'll feel good, and you'll feel confident. Your look, your way. So here's the deal, and there's a money-back guarantee. Today, my listeners get any premium suit for just $399. That's up to 50% off at Indochino.com when entering JJ at checkout. Plus, Shipping is free. There's no reason not to try your first custom-made suit with a deal this good. And a classic suit from their premium collection will look good, feel good, and last. That's Indochino.com, promo code JJ, for any premium suit for just $399 and free shipping. Indochino, your look, your way. Now back to our guest, Brandon Roy. It's ironic how it worked out. And and because (laughs) of your maturity and how much you worked on your game you were ready right away to step into the NBA and, and had a starring role your rookie year. 
I want to ask you about the new rules. First of all, 2006, our draft class was the first year that high school players could not declare for the draft. They, they instituted an age limit of 19, and it had to be one year after you know, graduating high school, which I'm not a fan of. Yeah. I think people should be able to earn a living in the United States of America, and uh, there's really no other sport other than football because of safety reasons, I guess is how they, they deem it, that yeah. you can't become a pro if you have the necessary skill, like tennis, golf, uh, baseball. Mm -hmm. If you're able to do it, you should be able to be paid. But the new rule now is that, that all these kids are essentially declaring this year for the draft. They're not necessarily hiring an agent. They're giving a longer uh, waiting time. Uh, I think it's end of May or early June, whenever the combine is, to kind of decide whether or not to go back to school. It, it allows teams and, and universities and, and agents and players to all kind of uh, communicate a little bit better about a player's potential. Uh, what are your thoughts on the new rule? And really also, what are your thoughts on the one-and-done rule? Yeah, well, I'm I'm with you on the on the rule. I think you know after after high school, I think kids should be able to turn pro. Now, yeah. does that mean is it you know they're going to be ready when they go pro right away? You know that that's up to the team to decide on on who they're going to draft. I think uh, you know after after our year. It was uh, Kevin Durant and Greg Oden. And, you know, I think we both know those guys probably would have pushed us back two slots in 2006 right. <laughs> if they were able to go out of high school. Yeah. So, you know, the, the the rule, I think, I think like you said, in, in the United States of America, I think, hey, after, after high school, if kids want to declare for the NBA draft, they should. The only thing that I worried about, in the past was, you know, you get these guys that get in your ear and, you know, I wouldn't even say agents, but you get the, you get the AAU coaches and, and sometimes people push these kids for their own means. And, right. and for me, that's, that's very frustrating because you see a lot of kids make mistakes, but the way they're setting it up now with the rule in place where, Hey, look, guys have to go one year. So we have to abide by that. I think given giving teams, NBA teams, a chance to really evaluate these kids and giving college coaches the chance to say, hey, look, what is the best option for this young man? And that way you're taking it out of the hands of, you know, like I said, the AAU coaches, you know, even some, even some runners for agents. You're taking it out of their hands and you, you're saying, hey, we're going to throw your opinion out of it and we're going to deal straight with the people who matter. And with that, I think that's okay. But even then, it's it's still a it's still a really difficult and and, and dicey pro, uh, process because you know you can't accept anything even though you declare for the draft. So how are you really gonna put yourself in a position to be evaluated? So it's it's a it's a tough situation. And, and again, I think it's something that they're gonna continue to try to correct. It's not gonna happen overnight. But I would I would like to me personally. I think college, and not just one year. I think uh, you know a couple to you know two to three years of college can really help make guys better basketball players and more more mature individuals. So when I see guys, I say, hey, look, if the money's there, hey, you know, it's, it's hard to tell an 18 year old kid not to not to go chase his dreams and be able to make money to support his family. But I've also seen the other side of it where you know an 18 year old kid makes millions of dollars and in five years he's broke and now he can't support anybody and he's given you know his family a five year five years of a great lifestyle and now that that crash is really hard 
So four years of college not only helped me, you know, learn how to save my money, but it helped me learn how to be mature and put, you know, responsible people around me. Instead of being 18, going to the NBA, I was I was 22, and I was a more mature person, and I was able to handle a lot, you know, a lot more starting off in the league. And I think sometimes these young kids come in, they can maybe handle the basketball, but they can't handle the life that is thrown at them. Right. So I would definitely no like to just, you know, hey, it's, it's America, and you have the free will to, you should have the free will to go play pro. But I just wish they would stay around a little longer. Even great players, <laughs> you can get better from years in college, and and uh, you know, I just wish that more kids will stay around a little longer. So maybe they make the college rules a little more, a little bit more um, friendlier, so guys will stay around a little longer. You bring up some good points. First of all, the new rule, I think it does eliminate some of the people that are in guys' ears. It eliminates mm-hmm. the runners. I think you, you are able to get information now directly from teams, whereas okay. before there was this really narrow period of time that was like you know two or three weeks that guys had to either declare and come back, you know, not hire an agent. Now it's like it's drawn out, and there's lots of information that is being exchanged. So, so I got I like a question that. for you, Jesse. Can they? Yeah. How do they work out? So like when I was when I put my name in a draft 2002, the teams couldn't like fly me to their city. Right. Like where where can the teams actually go see these kids if they declare for the draft? Well, I, from what I understand, the combine is open, sort of to invitation. So if, if a guy gets invited to the combine, then I guess that's a good sign for him. If he doesn't get invited, then it might be time for him to kind of enroll back in school. That's a great question, and I don't have the answer. And uh, you know what? Somebody needs to tweet me the answer <laughs> who's ever listening. Because you, you bring up the point. So in the old way, and I'm sure it's the same now, if a guy declares for the draft – and has not hired an agent, then he's still eligible to return to school. However, if a guy has not signed with an agent, a team can't pay for his travel, his yeah. hotel, his food, et cetera, et cetera. So in the old days, and I'm sure it's the same now, guys that do not have an agent and, and are still kind of in the middle ground debating whether or not to go back to school, if they go and work out for a team, then the team would then sort of bill them and then the player would have to, and the player's family would have to reimburse them the $1,100 or whatever for travel. Yeah, okay. Okay, so that um, makes sense. And I guess that's where yeah. I was, you know, somewhat getting to yeah. it. It still makes it hard yeah. to evaluate a kid, here's a, you know, because most here, kids here's can't a, here's afford a, that. Here's a question I have for you. So you, you and I both agree, like, if a kid can go out of high school, then he should be able to go to high school. If he's able and, and a team says, all right, we're willing to invest X amount of dollars, X amount of time to develop this kid, that he should be able to. Do you think yeah. that the system should be more like baseball, where you can either leave and go after high school or you go to school for three years? Because here's my other thing. I think the one and done has hurt college because yeah. all these kids that would have gone to pros, they go to school for a year. Coach K used to have this saying, like, when you come to Duke, you got to unpack your bags. And I feel <laughs> like a lot of these guys, when they go to Kansas or even Duke, when they go to Kansas or Duke or Carolina, Kentucky, and they got these – you know, one and done ideas, they never unpack their bags. So I think it hurts the program and ends up hurting the kids too. So do you think it should be like more like baseball where you got to stay, let's say two years, let's say three years, whatever it may be. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I like that idea. I wouldn't say three years. I would, I would probably argue two years and, you know, here's some of my reasons, you know, you know, this JJ coach K he's the, he's the headliner, um, you know, Calipari at Kentucky, uh, Kansas, North Carolina, 
you know, Coach K can lose a kid and go into another into another living room and, and, and get one right away. You know, we were in a situation here at the University of Washington where we lost two kids and we didn't even make the NCAA tournament. And it's like, hey, now we're losing two kids to the first round and it's it's and two good players who I think personally were gonna be pros if they came back, but I I think they would have benefited a lot more coming back to school. But we lose them. We can't, you know, and it's gonna be hard for a coach to go into a, another living room and get that kid again. And you know, I think that's that's the difficult part about about college basketball is because Calipari can reload it. Uh, Roy Williams probably has three or four McDonald's All Americans that didn't even get in the game this 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 last postseason for them. So they can they can, can they can continue to stockpile. Where you got the the smaller schools, and I don't even mean just Washington, but a, a lot of the not small schools, but you know, there's a there's a few blue chip programs out there that. They can handle the one and done. I know Coach K would like guys around so he can really get his hands around them and develop them. But he can do the one and done thing if he has to because, you know, he's he's arguably one of the greatest coaches of all time. So I just think the two years will at least give a coach and, and, and maybe neutralize it a little bit to say, hey, look, we got some really good freshmen who are under the radar. The NBA is going to see them their freshman year. The NBA is going to get really excited about them, but they can't take them right away. And it'll give, it'll give the coaches a chance to, to, to help those kids develop. And it won't only benefit the coaches. It will benefit the players. So I think that idea that you said of, of, of baseball is, hey, if you're going to go college, you have to at least unpack your bags for two years. And, you know, or, or three. I don't think three years is going to hurt a kid. But, you know, you also try to, you know, think about a kids. You know, there's some guys that are just after their freshman year, they're really good. And then, you know, by their second year, they're they're ready to they're pretty much you have to force them out the door. But I think it will help college basketball if we could have seen, you know, some of these these really good freshmen become sophomores, and then you see those great freshmen come in, play against those guys. So I think it would make the game, you know, a lot better. And college basketball is already fun. You know, we, we watch March Madness, but I think it definitely would make the game a lot more, a lot more funner and a lot more competitive. And then it will help bolster the NBA because we'll get more mature players to come into the NBA right away and not have to develop so much. All right, I think we're both on the same page then. A guy can yeah. either leave after <laughs> high school or he's got to stay two years. I'm with you on that. I think it's, I think it's a good compromise for all parties. All right, we're going to get back to Brandon in a second. But first, I want to tell you about SeatGeek. Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated, and they all try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell tickets to your favorite NBA team. SeatGeek is the only place I ever go to look for tickets to a game. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. SeatGeek has taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. They pull all the tickets available on other sites into one place, so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming events, and SeatGeek will let you know if ticket prices fall. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is ranked based on value, so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, they show you the full ticket price from start to finish and never try to trick you with huge fees on the checkout page. Plus, my listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the free SeatGeek app, go to the Settings tab, and click Add a Promo Code. Enter promo code JJ. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. 
Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code JJ today. All right, back to Brandon. Let's talk about your NBA career. I mentioned some of the accolades, uh, but really you were you know, one of the best shooting guards in your time in the league. Talk to me about the decision uh, with the Blazers. I, I, I want to say it came down to like the night before media day and you kind of had to let the Blazers know one way or the other, whether you were going to play that year. Is that, is that right? I, I, I don't want to put, well, put no, it's, it's mouth, not, but. it's not entirely right. You know, some of the, okay. some of the situation, you know, right after the, this is 2011 right after, or 2012, right? What, the, uh, right after the, um, what is it? Lockout. So, you lockout, know, you couldn't okay. talk to the teams during the lockout year. So I think that was, what was that? 2011 or 2012? December, 2011 is when the yeah, lockout so, ended. Okay, so that was the that was the time where we were able to talk with the teams, and I was able to talk with the, the Blazers. I think right after they lifted it, and uh, I drove down to to Portland and I met with uh, with the management. And you know, it was a it was a really good conversation. You know, I, I would I would say it was on both sides. It was hey, my knees weren't great, and and I think they knew that. And at the same time, now they have this new this new thing called you know the, the amnesty. Uh, right. I guess whatever you call it, you could amnesty a player. So I knew that was always kind of an option for them. But uh, I ended up doing the physicals, and when I went and did my physical, I met with our team doctor, and he's somebody that had worked with me, you know, throughout my career, even you know before I was drafted. And we just had a long talk, and you know, he looked over my knees. Are your kids? Are your kids making noise in the background? By the way, yeah, this yeah, is I real life. Out, man. <laughs> this is real out. life. My son, by the way, has Knox has been in the uh, the living room for the last ten minutes, screaming at the top of his lungs. So I apologize uh, for anything. But all right, continue. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, no, I just, I just stepped out because they started. <laughs> I knew they'd be home and they were gonna start banging around. So, yeah. but you know, I, I uh, so. You know, with the whole amnesty coming in, you know, I even knew that would be an option. So I met with uh, with our team doctor, and, you know, he, he had just really looked me in my eyes, and he, and I said, you know, doctor, you know, what, what would you advise someone in my position? Because what I was receiving was that he was asking me, like, why do you keep trying to go out there and play? You know, your knees aren't – they're not getting better. <laughs> they're going to gradually just keep getting worse. And he knows that I tried, I tried so many different options. And he just said, you know, Brandon, if you were my son, I would just tell you, I would just ask you to stop playing. And, I, you know, I really, I really took that to heart. And, you know, I went home and, and uh, I talked to my family and I talked with, uh, you know, my agents. And, you know, I just told them what the team doctor said. And then after that, it was pretty much out of my hands because, you know, of course, you know, my agent talked to the team and the team basically had to make their decision. I was more than willing to, you know, keep playing because I even, you know, started working out and stuff and was like, hey, you know, if my body will allow me, I'll play. So when the decision came for the Blazers to amnesty me, I wasn't surprised because I kind of knew that's where it was going. And I was able to talk to Coach Nate and and Larry Miller and and even Pyle and everybody. And and I was just uh, grateful for the the opportunity. And, you know, just with with where my knees were, it was just going to be hard for me to continue on, especially in a shortened season with the lockout year. So that that, that process was was really hard with, um, you know, knowing that my time in in Portland was done just because of – of how much, you know, how much that we all did to kind of build that, that deal back up, 
you know, and just my first press conference, uh, I think we were, I was talking to our PR people and they just said, you know, make sure we don't mention anything about the jailblazers. <laughs> and I was thinking, you know, why would anybody bring that up? And, you know, the first question they asked was, you know, how are you guys going to turn this thing around from the, from the, the jailblazers? And, you know, my, my response had always been is, you know, I had nothing to do with anything in the past. Uh, we just want to move forward and, and hopefully give people something to cheer about. So everything that, you know, everybody in that organization that, that may not even be there now, everything they did to help turn that deal around, you know, that all kind of, you know, for me was like, dang, it's over with for my part of it was. And uh, it was it was a sad moment, but at the same time I understood, you know, I know what my body you know, felt like after games. So it was, it was difficult. And of course I wish I could have, could have kept playing, but you know, I got to think about those kids in the background and I don't want to be in a wheelchair in my thirties. So, you know, it, it was, it was the best decision, even though sometimes it seems like a hard one. As brief as possible. Cause I do think it's important for the people listening to this podcast to kind of understand from a medical perspective, what was going on with your knees, just as brief as possible. Could you just kind of describe Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't it wasn't one thing. It wasn't a, no. a pop or an injury. It was it was no. just essentially bone on bone, if I'm correct, right? No cartilage, and it's just yeah. over time. So basically, they just, say it's de- degenerative. I hope I'm saying that right. Yeah. I haven't said it in a long time because I haven't degenerative, had to. Yeah, but, uh, that's good. Yeah. but like I said, you know, earlier when I said I had that surgery my senior year, and before my senior year in high school, basically I, I tore a piece of my meniscus. And they, the doctor went in there and he cut it out. And nowadays, I, I think they're they're stitching them back together. But then I just wanted to play, so you know, stitch it out. And I never knew that I would continue to keep tearing them. And my biggest problem was it wasn't one knee; it was both. So you know, I think by the by the end of my career, I had about I think four scopes on my left and maybe five on my right. And there's only so much meniscus you can take out. They've taken pretty much all of it out, and now I'm, I'm just going bone on bone. So it, it causes a lot of, you know, my knees are just grinding. I mean, I, I don't remember the last time I squatted really good, like even lifting weights. It's just because my knees would grind, and that's when I get a real, a really bad pain. So it's just basically taken out, you know, most of my meniscus have been taken out in, in both of my knees, and it's pretty much left me bone on bone. And I always thought, like, man, why couldn't it have just been one knee? You know, I, I'm pretty good at adjusting. I can, <laughs> I can favor the other leg, and, you know, I think right. I, I, I kind of ran out of, of, of knees to favor. <laughs> so that was pretty much the uh, – that's pretty much what it is. It's just I've had so many scopes, and the you know the doctor can only clean up so much. And then now it's like now the bone is starting to you know I think they said uh, it's starting to just have some some deep grooves in it, and sometimes I'll pop it out of groove. It'd be really painful, and then it'll settle back into that groove, and I feel better. And it was just too up and down. And you know I tried it again in Minnesota. Uh, last preseason game, I was I was playing well, and and uh, I tried to shoot through the gap to uh, steal the ball and and just kind of bang knees, and there it goes. I had to have another surgery, and and at that moment, you know, I looked at uh I looked at my wife and and, and my and my parents, and I said, okay, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> no more tries for me, and uh, that's that's probably the last time I even thought about a comeback. Are there moments where you say, what if? Are there moments where you? I don't know if you're a religious person, but you ask, you know, why me, God, uh, are there regrets? I mean, how have you been able to process this over the last few years? 
Yeah, you know, the, the honest truth is I never asked why me because, you know, the you know the first all-star game I ever played in was the NBA all-star game. And I always looked at that like a, like as a blessing. And, and, you know, from the moment, you know, I sat there at the NBA draft and, you know, the commissioner said with the six pick in the 2006 NBA draft, the Minnesota Timberwolves select Brandon Roy. I said, every moment from here is just like extra. <laughs> Cause I had waited for that moment my whole life. So I felt as a basketball player, I gave those, you know, honestly, I wouldn't say five because it's the fifth year. I had two two knee surgeries, but those those four years, I played loose. I had fun, and it was the best time of my life because I finally said, "Hey, I'm I'm gonna take the pressure off because the hard part was getting here. Now I'm gonna gonna really enjoy it." So I never sit back and say, "Hey, you know, why me?" What I do sit back and think about sometimes is. Man, what if what if I had, you know, great knees and never really been injured before? You, what kind of player could I have been? What kind of player could I have challenged to to be? And, you know, a lot of people don't know, but even those 4 years where I was able to be an all-star, I was I was in some pain. <laughs> you know, there was yeah. you know, there were some games where I was like, "Man, I don't know how I'm going to do this." So it was it was pretty cool to to be able to have a great career knowing that that I had injuries, but at the same time, hey, JJ, we're all we all go through something, or we're all going through something as NBA players. So I just try to take all the good and and uh, appreciate everything and the lifestyle that I'm able to to provide for my my kids and my family, and I'm grateful. <laughs> I'm grateful. Yeah. I, I played at the highest level of basketball. I got to. I got to work out with guys like you and hang out with you and, and even Chris Paul. And, you know, I was able to talk with Kobe Bryant, you know, during games. And so I, I, I'm grateful for the, for the, for the lifestyle that I was, but that I was able to live. I think that's a great perspective, man. I, I mean, I can definitely appreciate that more with Brandon in just a second. After I tell you about the best way to get a good night's sleep. I know in my busy life, a good night's sleep is super important and I bet it is in your life too. Good sleep comes from a good mattress. Casper mattresses are made in America. They provide resilience and long-lasting supportive comfort with just the right sink and just the right bounce using two technologies, a hybrid of latex foam and memory foam. It's an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. It's $500 for a twin-size mattress and $950 for a king-size mattress. Comparing that to industry averages, that's an outstanding price point. Again, that's $500 for a twin-size mattress, $950 for a king-size mattress with a risk-free trial and return policy. Try sleeping on a Casper for 100 days with free delivery and painless returns. And get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting www.casper.com JJ and using the code JJ. Terms and conditions apply. All right, let's get back to Brandon. This has been a great conversation, Brandon. Before I let you go, we're going to do our four-on-four this week. I'm going to leave it up to you. You're, you're one of my all-time favorite shooting guards. Okay. So this week's four-on-four is your favorite four current shooting guards. Please, God, do not put me in it. Just don't even try, all right? I'm not the fifth. I'm not the sixth. <laughs> Who are your four favorite shooting guards in today's NBA? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to do my four. But hold on now. You said you cater to the guests on these four, right? Yeah. So I'm going to do my four, but you got to let me at least give my four, but let me go up to seven. 
because that was my number. Okay. And, you know, I don't okay. get too All many right. interviews these days. So <laughs> can, I, can I get to seven? <laughs> yeah, set, we'll go. You know, this week four on four is now seven on seven. All right. <laughs> All right, cool, cool. So I don't want to. I don't want to say any order, but I'll say Clay Thompson's right up there. James Harden, Dwayne Wade, Flash has to be in there. And let me see. I'll say DeMar DeRozan is my first four, but not in any order. But then after that, I get to go to seven. I'll say J.J. Redick, Jimmy Butler. And to cap it off my seven, I'm going to go with Jamar Crawford as the sixth man, seventh man on my shooting guard list. (laughs) I knew knew that somehow Jamal was going to work his way in there. Like, we couldn't have this podcast without talking about Jamal. Jamal is the hey, godfather of Seattle basketball. He's like everybody's everybody's older brother there. Hey, come on, JJ. I watched him make the game winner the other day. He's still one of my favorite two guards. I mean, he's, uh, he's older now, but he's, he's still getting it done. It's like Benjamin Button. The guy's getting younger every year. He's like 42 now, and he's still hitting game winners and scoring 30 points off the bench. It's unbelievable. Don't tell him that. Jamal's one of those guys, like, uh, you remember your grandma used to ask her how old she was? She'd never tell you her age. That's that's JC, <laughs> so don't don't ask him how old he is. He ain't going to tell you. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, I could do a quick Google search and get that information. <laughs> I forgot. I like the, I honestly, I like... 2002. <laughs> yeah. I like, your, I like your list, though, man. I, there's, there's no one that I really would disagree with. I mean, I'm a current player, so obviously I'm not going to bash anybody because then I'll get a, a 30-piece on my head the next time I see the guy. But <laughs> I really, I mean, all those guys are, are really good. You know, if I had to pick a favorite, you mm-hmm. know, of, of all those guys, you know, and I, I'm not saying he's the best player and I'm not saying he's, you know, whatever, but I, like to me, Clay Thompson is kind of the, one of my favorite guys to watch play. He's so efficient. The way Golden State moves the ball, he doesn't have the ball in his hands a lot. And he, you know, he can have forty points with having the ball in his hands less than a minute. I just, I just love watching him play. He's so good off the ball, and to me, a really underrated defensive player. Yeah, I agree with that. No, I definitely agree with that. Not see, I tried to, I tried to give you my list with with different type of two guards. You know, sure. most people always want to just go with, uh, okay, we know Michael Jordan is the best of all time and Kobe, but, you know, guys like Reggie Miller and Ray Allen, they're some of the best two guards. And that's why, you know, I had to make sure you and Clay were on that list. You know, guys who can catch and shoot and really fill it up, stretch the D out. You guys are point guards and post-up players' best friends because you guys face the game, and I think sometimes right. that gets overlooked. Right. I mean, yeah, your list is very different. I mean, Clay, obviously, we've talked about, but then you you have a guy like Dwayne Wade, who I don't even know does he does he take three pointers? I don't even know, but he's he's been amazing for so long, and even yeah. you know as he gets older, he still finds ways to be efficient and effective. Just another great great player, Brandon. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and, and just opening up and and talking hoops with us. I really appreciate it, man. Oh yeah, no, of course, and uh, like I said, I'll, I'll love to do it again. Just let me know. All right. I appreciate it. Thanks, Brandon. All right. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. Remember to subscribe and listen to new and archived episodes wherever you listen to the podcast. Please tweet me at JJ Reddick for any questions and comments. I'd also like to thank our sponsors, SeatGeek, Indochino, and Casper Mattresses. We'll catch you next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice.